You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network. Hosted by Blake Murphy 7, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. You can find me on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. Got your complete cards coverage through Revenge of the Birds, part of, as we said, the SB Nation podcast network. Uh, Bringing on another fellow Revenge of the Birds podcast host. He is on the Red Rain podcast, a frequent guest here on the ROTB pod here to talk Seahawks game and especially to talk playoffs. It's Walter Mitchell or OTB staff writer. Walter, it's good to have you on to talk playoffs for the first time since 2015 for this Cardinals squad. How are you doing and how excited are you? I'm totally jacked up. Uh was writing today about this, uh, that um, this is only the ninth time in my life my Cardinals are going to the playoffs. That includes St. Louis. Um, you know, I was became a fan in 1963 so uh i do the math <laughs> 37 plus 21 58 years it's only been nine seasons of playoffs and i live five minutes from uh gillette stadium where over the last 22 years the patriots have been in the playoffs 20 times so there's quite a disparity here and any time that the Cardinals make the playoffs is a just joyful time for me. And so I'm really, really excited. Yeah, absolutely. For a lot of the younger fans like me and those who especially didn't grow up with the previous context of not just the St. Louis Cardinals, but going back to the Chicago Cardinals days, uh, this is just a franchise that has really had, I think, a lot of ways not been able to unlock the key to being able to get perpetually into the playoffs, it seems like they have little phases. You get, you know, the Jim Hart era. You talk about some of the other Cardinal staffs. You talk about, you know, previously some of those uh, Ring of Honor players that um, are from an earlier era, at least before they even became the St. Louis Cardinals. The team finally ends up being able to find their feet with a young air raid coach, a young franchise quarterback, and a defense. But what's really interesting, Walter, is as we talk about this, the Cardinals, for the second time in their Arizona history, have 11 wins on the season. They finish 11-6. and six. But what most Cardinals fans are focusing on is that the team started off 10-2, and two, and even more are probably focused on the fact that this was a chance for the Cardinals to win the division up against the Seattle Seahawks. The San Francisco 49ers did their part with a comeback victory against the Los Angeles Rams, defeating them to get into the playoffs. Arizona could not take advantage, however. They end up at the very end of the game seeing Russell Wilson run in for a touchdown after they, hold, uh, I believe, kick a field goal. And the end of the game with a score of 38 to 30. Let's talk a little bit about this, Walter. How much of this game do you think is contributing to this whole narrative of Kingsbury not winning games later in the year, the Cardinals struggling at home? And then even some of what I think you can even look at through the game would be the Cardinals at one point were leading this team 24 to 17, forcing punts. It really felt like things kind of got out of hand in the game, especially off of a special team's error, and the Cardinals just were not able to, for whatever reason, get back into the game late. 
Uh, what are some of your thoughts, at least, for a lot of the Cardinals fans who are bemoaning what may have been a great opportunity to host a home playoff game, not just go to the playoffs, but host a home playoff game and win the division for the first time since 2015? Yeah, I think it was it was a tough scenario for the Cardinals because, you know, they're in a position where they're trying to save themselves for the playoffs. And, you know, this is the first time they've been through scenarios like this. They clinched a playoff berth and Cliff Kingsbury said after the game, it's disappointing. We didn't win the division, but we're in the playoffs. That's our focus. And I think the Cardinals played like it. I mean, I think the, the symbolic play of the game was Andy Lee electing to drop the ball on the punt instead of risk getting hurt on a punt block. Um, I think that's kind of, and Kyler taking dives on sacks. And I think it wasn't a game the Cardinals were willing to put a hundred percent into and it showed. Uh, and there were just major, major gaps on both sides of the ball, particularly on defense where for whatever reason, Vance Joseph thinks he can cover people with Chandler Jones and Marcus Golden and, and Devin Kennard. Uh, raise your hand if you've ever seen that work. Um, and the the Seahawks, uh, I mean, these are major gifts to teams. Um, same thing happens in, in the Col- Colts game. The Cardinals had a lead in the second half, and they, they just gave it right back with just porous defense um, and wide open um, receivers. I mean, how many receivers, Blake, were wide open in this football game? Yeah, there was a lot, especially with Tyler Lockett, and in some cases it felt inevitable. You looked at Kevin Peterson um, taking the place of Cardinals cornerback Marco Wilson being out with injury. They're expecting to get him back. Robert Alford has a good chance to come back as well. Uh, His Twitter account seems to indicate that he's got great opportunity to play in the playoffs, but... Like you said, once Peterson went out and you looked at and saw, all right, you've got Byron Murphy's in the slot, but Breon Borders had to come in off of essentially the practice squad and be asked to cover the likes of DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And we know that Arizona has sometimes liked to keep um, Byron Murphy in the slot. I think one of the benefits is he's such a strong tackler that you're able to not just use him in run support, but being able to, you know, bait right. Russell Wilson into some throws, be able to have him pressure the quarterback. He's can be kind of like another safety out there, but the adjustment to be able to get in was a little bit late that we saw. And as a result, you had the Cardinals great start Chandler Jones, forcing a fumble two plays into the game. Zach Allen scoops it up, returns it for a touchdown is taken away with a 43 yard touchdown to Tyler Lockett beating that deep zone coverage. And it's kind of a spot where we've talked about Vance Joseph. We've talked about the, times of the play zone coverage. And really it comes down to a combination of you got to be tight up front, getting pressure on the quarterback. And you also have to make sure that guys aren't getting mixed up in coverage. When we played that soft zone, Lockett is just a guy that you're not able to do that with. And borders got mixed up, at least in one of the coverages, you could see even maybe he had the coverage, right? But one of the Cardinals players is trying to direct traffic. And there's two or three times that Seattle was able to get open, but I think every Cardinals fan will point out the run defense as being one of the biggest reasons why they ultimately lost the game because when Arizona needed to get a stop, they just were not there. And 
like you said, Walter, in some cases, you know, if this is a game where the Cardinals need to get into the playoffs, is Marco Wilson playing? Maybe. Is is this a game where Rashad Breland, if the Cardinals needed this game to get to the postseason, is going to be in for the team? I, I think that's certainly possible to talk about. But at the end of the day, I do think and agree with you that Arizona, in some aspects, wanted to be as healthy as possible. They played like it. And it's unfortunate that James Conner, did take on the injury that he did and ended up leaving the day with a, a rib injury because you wonder how full strength the Cardinals are going to be going into this Monday night football game. The first time they're playing in Monday night football in the playoffs. And I believe in the history of the organization. Yeah. Well, they're going to need to, uh, in my opinion, scrap these soft zones. Um, they tried him against Stafford in the second game, and the pressure wasn't as strong as the first game. But if you go back and look at the first time the Cardinals played the Rams, that was about as physical as I've ever seen the Cardinals play a football game. And J.J. Watt had a lot to do with that. And J.J. Watt is an infectious um, baller that uh, the Cardinals have been missing. And I was begging for Steve Keim to fill the void at the trading deadline. We needed somebody, some horse in the middle to really get our mojo back. And I'm just still very disappointed in kind that he didn't pull off a deal. Meanwhile, the Rams pulled off two deals. Um, you know, they got the extra deal. We got one with Ertz. They got two with Miller and and uh, OBJ, um, which was a godsend. Uh, you know, as soon as they signed OBJ, Robert Woods went down. Um, unfortunately for them, uh, but they've remained very healthy. Their best players are healthy. Um, but in this game, you go back and look at the Cardinals on defense. They mixed in man with zone very well. They rattled uh, Stafford. He was throwing the ball all over the place. They held Cooper Cup to five, five catches on 13 targets. And when Cup did catch the ball, they punished him. I mean, I've never seen a Cardinal safety hit so hard. I was so proud of them. It was just such such a great win. Um, and Cardinals need to watch that tape and do whatever they can to bring that mojo and and attack mode back because uh, they gotten soft on on defense and given up thirty points a game down the stretch and. Um, things have to turn around quickly there because we know how talented the Rams are on offense. Absolutely. Like you mentioned, the uh, Cardinals are in an interesting spot because when you talk about the first game that's played, you really look and focus on the thing, at least that stands out to me is the Cardinals opened the game. They held the Rams to a field goal off a nine play drive. They punted after a three and out. And a lot of Cardinals fans, I think, groaned and looked at the ghost of Cardinals past. The Rams got greedy. Matthew Stafford threw an interception. He leads the league now in interceptions. They've not been able to protect the football very well. It's part of what led the Niners back into the last game. And Arizona was able to make them pay. It was a bit of a back and forth um, uh, struggle with the Cardinals taking a lead, the Rams scoring a touchdown, the Cardinals being able to come back and go up. And then the second area that really, I think, sunk it was that second turnover that Marcus Gordon fumbled. The Cardinals ended up taking and making a touchdown out of it. And then essentially at that point, it really did feel like as long as Arizona wasn't going to give up the big play, 
They're able to hold the Rams to field goals, were able to get field goals themselves. They went at the half 24 to 13. They opened up the second half with a field goal. And then once the Rams missed that field goal, it felt like it was essentially just it was over in that regard. There wasn't enough time. There wasn't enough life left in the Rams. And I think, Walter, the question I'll have is, do the Cardinals have to force these sort of early turnovers, take a lead? We talk about how Arizona has done a good job playing with the lead. They've had issues at times when they've gotten off script or off schedule and and playing catch up. I feel like that's a lot more important, especially when you're looking at the lack of DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, I, I at least think that if he's going to be any shape. And I know Arizona sports, John Gambadora has an inkling that he could be back. I think that's more based off of trusting Deandre Hopkins, his past experience. I feel like even if he does end up for whatever reason, being active or playing that the effectiveness of Hopkins wouldn't be back until, you know, perhaps another week or two. What are your thoughts at least overall on what it will take as far as for Arizona to be able to beat the Rams and not have this turn into what we've seen in, Times past, or even in the December football game against the Rams, Arizona coming out, keeping pace, and then getting off script, falling behind, and struggling to get back in the game after a, a turnover or a mistake that's been made by whether well, it's the offense, the defense, or a big play given up by the D. Well, the first and foremost thing is they cannot let Aaron Donald dominate the football game the way he did in Arizona. Um, basically power lifting Max Garcia into um, Kyler for the first sack and then ending the game on a sack. Um, he was a one-man wrecking crew. Actually, it wasn't just one man because Gaines next to him played a brilliant game, and he's a very underrated player. He's got some quickness in there. You have to take care of him. What I would do is put a um, put a blocker wherever, you know, keep a blocker as a fullback and put it behind, you know, directly in front of Donald, wherever he lines up, you can't block Donald one-on-one and it's really even hard to double team him sometimes because he's too quick and gets through the crease. Um, so, but you can, um, you can stagger block him. That's why the 49ers have some good success against the Rams is they do a good job of, you know, using a fullback or a tight end to double team on Donald so he doesn't dominate the football game. And they get very physical with him. I mean, they run other blockers at him, and they run right at him, too, um, which uh, for star pass rushers, they don't like. Um, but if if the Cardinals think they can get away again with just their normal offense uh, without catering to the strengths of Aaron Donald, then it, it'll probably would be another very long afternoon. So that, that's the first priority on offense is to take care of him. And I would sacrifice the fifth receiver to do that because it'll buy Kyler more time and a more of a comfort zone um, and a pocket where, you know, with four eligible receivers instead of five, he's still going to have the time to, and the way he can throw the ball into, into tight windows and, and um, with accuracy, I, I think if you can give Kyler the time to make those throws, and I really like the Cardinals' chances. We also have to get Rondale Moore back on the field and Chase Edmonds. We need a speed element and a, and guys who can make people miss, which we were missing the last. We were missing against Seattle. That was a big deal, in my opinion. 
um, not having both of them. I mean, having Hopkins out is bad enough. But when you take Rondale Moore out of the offense um, and then Chase Edmonds, who out of the backfield is probably as talented as any running back in the NFL, then, um, you know, you're, you're really shorthanded there. The good thing for Kyler is he and Zach Ertz are really, are really on the same page. Kyler's got to figure it out with A.J. Green. I don't understand why A.J. Green doesn't use his body and post up. He lets men, men play cross his face and play him. I don't understand that, um, I, particularly with his experience and particularly in the end zone where if he just turns and squares up and boxes his man out, you know, he should be able to catch TDs. But, you know, someone put out a stat today that he's two for 14 and on passes thrown to him in the end zone this year. Um, and that's just for a team that's only scoring two touchdowns a game during this stretch. You know, the Cardinals are, are you know, certainly, you know, we're better off when they were scoring three or four touchdowns a game, obviously. You know, that's an obvious thing, but it's not easy. But, you know, Hopkins had eight TDs in 10 games. He was the go-to guy down there. They tried to get Wesley involved in the red zone, but not. he's been more effective from, you know, a little bit outside the red zone on those fades. But, you know, on the slant passes, they've tried throwing him. Um you know, he's, he's not made those plays yet. And then, uh, but one time on that nifty little fake run left, um, then delayed route to the back of the end zone um, against, I guess it was Dallas. Yeah. Um, and the outstretched arms of Randy Gregory, that was a brilliant play. So Wesley got a touchdown on that, but they're, they're not, um, you know, they're kicking a lot of field goals and not scoring enough touchdowns. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what stood out to me from the Seahawks game was there's people who were frustrated, I think, that on one of the opening drives, Arizona on, I think it was third and one, took a shot to A.J. Green. Uh, there was a defender, I believe, made a great play there. That's one of the avenues of the air raid offense is if you're going to have guys who come in to be able to try to stop the run, you're going to get one-on-one coverage outside. And I think that on one hand, like you said, with Green, it I think the, the closest I felt is he knows he's probably going to get paid, maybe not a great contract, but he'll at least be able to get another contract after this year. You can tell that his legs at least aren't quite what they used to be and that he's kind of gone down and avoided some contact. But I think the other avenue that's been key is that when it came to earlier in the season, why Arizona was getting so much success, I think a lot of that was he was not just getting a bit more separation he was drawing the number two cornerback. DeAndre Hopkins was helping dictate coverage. He was having a safety come over for some of the deep shots. He would have times where he would need that second safety to come over because he would be able to just make a guy disappear from the line. Now you've got AJ green having to face those number one cornerbacks. I think that defenses have adjusted where Arizona has still been able to get big plays in the passing game, but you're talking about your number one receiver being a guy who, for better or worse at this stage in his career is kind of that 50, 50 bring the ball down. We'll have to box out the defender type of guy on those type of plays, not necessarily the deep threat who can run all the way to the end zone or threaten a defense that you want. And I, I think that's where, like you've said, the passing offense at least is going to have to need some of those guys to step up. I agree with you that missing the speed threat of Rondell Moore, getting yards after catch is big, and that's something to get back. 
But let's talk a bit about the run game, especially with with looking at Aaron Donald, even looking back at the Seahawks game. It really felt like that the Cardinals were getting beat a bit more up front. Um, the likes of DJ Humphreys seemed like he wasn't quite there in the past game. Uh, he's coming off of the COVID list. Um, hopefully there will be another week, uh, you know, maybe an extra day too for Monday night to resume and get a bit healthier at least, as that can definitely be um, something that affects uh, big men, I know, as far as for that. That's just how it goes, at least, with this type of uh, pandemic. The other area, though, that was a bit concerning was there was times where I would see the Cardinals running the ball, and these would be situations that normally you would see Arizona push the defense back, fall forward, and James Conner would pick up that first down on a third and one or on a fourth and one. Against the Seahawks, even with that offensive line being back together for maybe the first time since you know week one or week two of the year, we I didn't see them getting as much push, getting as much there. It felt like Seattle were the guys that were essentially controlling the line of scrimmage. It took uh, a crazy second effort from James Conner to pick up that fourth and one from Arizona's own territory. They lost two yards where he was... Uh, trying to make a run up front. No one was there, had to try to stretch the edge, was not able to make it. And then later in the game in the red zone, Chase Edmonds, the Cardinals had been running the ball effectively. And then they lose four yards, it seems. A guy gets beat from the interior on the first play. It's not boning well unless they can step up their play against the likes of an Aaron Donald. The thing I think you want to flip at least is who's going to have the advantage in this game? Is it going to be Aaron Donald or in a game in which the Cardinals may be getting J.J. Watt back, and I don't want to understate the value that he had not just, you know, as far as a leader on the field, but in being able to generate pressure and make quarterbacks nightmares a living hell, the fact remains at least that the Cardinals are going to go into this game, and it feels like whoever controls the line of scrimmage will probably control the game, and the Rams, for that matter, they did not control the line of scrimmage against the San Francisco 49ers either, yet I have not seen very many national analysts talking about that very fact. Yeah, the, one of the real advantages I think the Cardinals may have in this game is what the 49ers took out of the Rams um, physically. I mean, teams that play after a week after the four, playing the 49ers typically have a hangover. Um, and the Rams lucked out. The, the league has really helped the Rams schedule-wise when they rescheduled their COVID game. And then this week to give them the extra extra day um, following, uh, you know, getting pretty beat up by the, by the 49ers. And you kind of knew that the 49ers were going to do that's why they exert their dominance over the Rams and that's why they've been beating the Rams is uh the Rams can you know when they get in a dogfight physical dogfight in recent years they you know you can you you can sting them um the Cardinals did it in LA I mean you go back and watch that game uh, you know the Cardinals did great things up front. Aaron Donald was, I don't think he had a sack in the game. Justin Pugh played a great game against them. Uh, and then um, it's good to have Pugh back, by the way. But Justin Pugh isn't going to consistently block Aaron Donald one-on-one. You really need to help. And like I said, with Gaines and then with, with Sebastian Day, I mean, the other guys up front are no slouches. So you have to take care of them. But uh, they're, the Cardinals, the key to this game to the Cardinals 
is uh, double teaming Donald every chance they can. And if they can do it with, with a, you know, a, a tight end or a fullback type, um, whoever they can do it with, even if, even if they have to put in an extra offensive lineman into a fullback slot, um, and then double gains with Hudson and the the guard to Gaines' side, I'm not sure those Rams inside linebackers um, have what it takes to stuff the run. I think that's where they're a little weak. So I think you can run at them. I just wish the Cardinals would run good old-fashioned ISO plays with a fullback right after the right on the linebacker, double team, open up the hole, and clear that clear it out with a fullback. Um, it's just so frustrating for me from an offensive standpoint that you know that the Cardinals don't do that because it's such a great play. It's like the pick and roll in, in the NBA. It's so difficult to defend and. Plus, you can play action off of it and throw to the fullback. Um, and if Ron Wolfley were here, I'm sure he'd be like, you know, yes, brother, <laughs> you're talking my language. Um, but uh, unfortunately, B.A. and now Cliff don't use a fullback almost, you know, never. Um, and I think in, in this game, it would be really advantageous to do that. The Cardinals, I think, need Murray under center a little more often. They need to play action. They need to move Kyler around a little bit like they did at Dallas. Um, you know, they got to pull out all the stops and keep the defense off balance with play action. And, um, you know, those, if they can protect the pocket inside and, you know, and, and force the edge rushers wide, I like those crossing passes passes to Christian Kirk. I also think they can get a, another, you know, few passes up the sidelines to Green, who's been really good. He didn't have to push off on the one. It was just a a, a bad mistake on his part. He had he had room there and separation, um, and you know, unfortunately, the first one he was open and Kyler underthrew it which is unusual these days. Uh, usually Kyler, if he does want to throw it, it's still got enough air on it for, for Green to catch. But if you look back at the first Rams game, you know, Kyler did a little half waggle over the tackle on a, on a play action and uh, threw it up top to Green, who had a great TD in the first half there. There was a real uh, momentum swinger for the Cardinals. And I think they can attack the Rams downfield but they they need to create time for Kyler to do it. And if, if they don't double-team Aaron Donald, um, they're asking for trouble. And I imagine Kyler's begging for that anyway. He should be because Donald was eating his lunch um, yeah. you know, a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah. And I, it wasn't just Donald, too. Like you said, it was the other parts of the Rams' pass rush was getting to him. And I think that you're right. I was going to use the phrase moving pocket of – being able to have, like you said, some more of the bootlegs or maybe a little bit of sprint options, being able to get it where when Aaron Donald's trying to be able to wreak havoc by having a moving pocket where you're either running away from him or essentially taking him out of the game, being able to chip in a bit, have Zach Ertz be available for some of these small plays, being able to get some of that positive movement going, especially if you end up with a 
negative play, getting Kyler back into a rhythm is important. I do want to talk about also one of the biggest advantages that I feel like for the Cardinals and where I think that their game plan is going to be is built around what we just saw the 49ers do to the Rams, which cements around the idea that when you're looking at the Cardinals, one advantage that we've seen that they've had is that with having Buda Baker back there and having Jalen Thompson back there, as long as they've got cornerbacks who are able to hold up well enough in man coverage, then we've been able to see that those guys don't let big plays happen. They're preventing plays. Now, we I'd say that as, you know, we think about that huge Richard Penny run last week. There's been some confusion as to was that on Kennard not reading it right? Did Jordan Hicks take the wrong read? Some of where Arizona is able to have an advantage, I think, is the fact that Jordan Fuller for the Rams, their safety is out for this game. And the Rams linebackers, like you said, I think the Cardinals still have enough of an advantage there, given the fact that Hicks is at least a smart linebacker. We've seen how Isaiah Simmons can play well in coverage. Even though it's a spot where the run game is going to give Arizona some trouble, I think at least if you can tell me that you've got a healthy Chase Edmonds, you have an effective enough James Conner, we've seen how Eno Benjamin can play. I think that one of the biggest areas Arizona can take advantage is being able to run the ball around the edges and force the Rams safeties and linebackers to have to make tackles because the Niners did that all last week. They would essentially get their, you know, use a little bit of misdirection. You're talking about getting a little bit of jet motion or a little bit of a guy, some eye candy as they'd call it on the line, getting those linebackers to kind of watch the eye candy, watch the likes of a Rondale Moore, who we know is a guy who breaks tackles and then being able to run the ball in some of those areas and force these Ram safeties that are not nearly in the camp of a Jalen Thompson, a Buda Baker to make plays, having that capacity then I think will open up some of the passing game by forcing those linebackers to have to step up in the box. Then you're talking about being able to hit on some big plays down the field, which is what Arizona really did with AJ Green in a one-on-one context against the Rams last time. So I think that what you're talking about, Walter, is some of what we've seen as far as not just keys to the Cardinals' success, but keys specifically that lines up in a, against a team in the Rams that is having injury problems at the wrong time, just as the Cardinals are getting a couple of their impact players potentially back at the right time. What are some of your thoughts, at least, on the Cardinals' game plan and attacking the Rams before we kind of flip the script and look at the Cardinals' defense against Stafford and the Rams? Well, actually, I'm pretty well set on the offensive part. Can I jump in on the defense? Oh, sure, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I because the, the number one thing for me is that you can't sell out to defend their run with, with the edges. Um, because that's when McVeigh and Safford are just going to bootleg and waggle around into wide open passing lanes like they did in Arizona on the backbreaking bomb to Jefferson, where Stafford had all day because the Marcus Golden crashed down inside from the backside and left the wide open, you know, no contain. And uh, the Rams, every time they see edges crashing down, you know the bootleg's coming. So what you have to do is, if you're an edge player like Chandler Jones or Marcus Golden or Kennard, if the flow starts away on play action, you know, or any any even handoff, 
you got to go after the quarterback. You don't crash down inside. Um, that's a huge key to this game. And I don't know why Vance Joseph teaches it that way um, to crash down from the backside, probably to try to prevent the cutback, but you can't sell out. Um, you're leaving yourself susceptible to the big play and they've got big playmakers as we know. And I think that, that the Cardinals need to play almost an exclusive um, man-to-man defense in the secondary. I don't think that their zones are good enough. You can't let Stafford get in a rhythm in this game and get his confidence going. And as we saw again with the 49ers last week and recently, if Stafford um, is, if, if his first option is covered, he gets real antsy and he's, he's turnover prone. But if, if you're playing soft zones and his first option is wide open, you're just letting him, giving him a gift wrapped completion. And, you know, um, and Cooper cup is so is the best zone breaker since Larry, Larry Fitzgerald. I mean, he, he, you know, he finds the creases better than anyone. And so it's huge to me. And I think the matchups are clear. I think that, the Cardinals are going to need, need the best game of Byron Murphy's season um, and play him on Cooper Cup um, in the slot and all over the field. Um, I think Murphy can be up for that challenge. Um, I hope and Robert, I mean, losing Alford was huge. Uh, had a ripple effect on the whole secondary. But if Alford's back, you can put him on OBJ. Um, then... Um, you can put Antonio Hamilton on Jefferson or Jalen Thompson on Jefferson. Um, Jalen Thompson is very underrated in coverage. He's outstanding and, uh, and so versatile. And he's not yet really that great a center fielder. I'd, I'd keep Buddha in center field to give the receivers the heebie-jeebies coming over the middle. Um, you know, with Buddha, those guys know Buddha's lurking they better watch out and um and then um you know you ought to have simmons on higby you can't let higby go off to and you know they're going to do those little bootleg tight end passes all day which oh just infuriates me how teams don't defend that um you know i'd line up isaiah over higby and i'd shadow him all game long and don't bite on the on the play action, cover them and stick, stick with them. And cause he's a key player for them. Uh, he's their sort of safety net other than Cooper cup. And, um, but I'd say you have to play strong man. And then you also have to cover their running backs because they love to throw into the flats. And, um, that, that part scares me because I'm not sure that Hicks is, a decent matchup on Sony Michelle or Henderson. Um, that part really worries me. And that's why I just so wish saving Collins was, was, uh, was playing more. Um, we need an athlete who can make those cover plays. I mean, Hicks is fine in zone, but you match him up one-on-one on a speedier, um, uh, running back. It's going to be tough, <clears throat> but, but not impossible. I mean, Hicks has his moments, and he could have a big game. I mean, Hicks blitzing is going to be a huge 
huge thing, but, but, uh, you know, really tightening up, making it simple. Man coverage makes everything simple. I mean, zone coverage, we saw it. I mean, you saw Breon borders getting caught in no man's land. And what's, what was really upsetting to me and, you know, and zone defenses take such coordination, uh, you know, uh, and practice. And, you know, you put one new guy in there and it can screw the whole thing up. Although the other side was horrible too. I mean, look at the wide open touchdown to Freddie Swain. I mean, that was just so inexcusable. I mean, and really sick and tired of watching guys wide open and giving quarterbacks just easy throws. Does Kyler get those kind of easy throws on the other side? Um, no. I mean, the other teams are banged up in secondaries, but they're at least dogging our re- receivers the whole game. Now, the Cardinals cannot continue to let guys free and uncovered for easy completions. I mean, quarterbacks lick their chops. and The Cardinals, you know, got to Russell Wilson. And he, and he, you know, made a couple really bad mistakes. Um, but then they gave it right back by giving him, you know, those easy throws. And so that's why one of the reasons why they lost that game. And they just can't allow that in a playoff game on the road versus the Rams. Yeah, you're pointing out at least with the blowing coverage. I, you know, one player thinks it's man, the other believes it's a zone coverage being played. Usually, you look at the guy in Borders who plays like that. Simmons was having to play a bit more cornerback. That was one of the adjustments that we saw was just simply to have to try to stop some of the bleeding. I think with the Rams, when you're talking about what their offense is built on, you're totally right. In a lot of what they have is this focus on running the ball different being able to have bootleg and bootleg action, being able to move Stafford uh, around a bit where Arizona, I think is excels the most is being able to be that sort of a team that can spread teams out, get less guys in the line of scrimmage, which allows them to be able to run the ball forward, get some plays that are going into guys like, you know, with chase Edmonds has done an excellent job with being able to make guys miss in the hole. And then being able to use the power game with James Conner, where I think at least the Cardinals, at least in this aspect, need to do better is, like you said, being able to find ways to cover a guy like a Tyler Higby. When he missed time, it really was impactful on Matthew Stafford, like you said, being that type of a safety valve. And then when it comes down to Cup, like you said, punishing him, being physical, whatever it has to take, at least, I think, to be able to disrupt whatever type of flow the Rams have and force the Rams to have to have Stafford back there under pressure having to be able to make these kind of tight throws into coverage because we've seen when Stafford's back there, that sometimes he'll make like an absolute dime. And you're like, there's no way you can really defend that as a defense and credit the player is the NFL we're talking about. There's other times where he'll just kind of pull the trigger there and just, and miss And It's not necessarily a bad or a wrong read. It's just, it's a bit of a miss that happens. I think that using Kyler's legs, whether it's, you know, kind of the counter to what I would say is some of that, boot action game or being able to get some of these Rams linebackers forcing them to have to come up and play because we saw in the last game when Kyler was able to scramble or get on the move the Rams were nowhere near him he was able to pick up I believe a third and long get out of bounds there's going to be at least some space for him to be able to use his legs I'd love to see the Cardinals be able to 
get a few options or two in there where he's able to get, you know, maybe an extra chip, move him out of the pocket, get a playmaker like uh, Chase or like Rondale as an outlet so that when teams crash in on Kyler trying to stop the run, he's able to, you know, make a little bit of a play, have an option pitch that's in there. Uh, These are all some things I think that they can play. But ultimately, in the end, Walter, I think this is a game that's going to come down to the turnovers because we know that points are going to be scored. The Rams are too good of a team, too good of an offense to be shut out. We know the Cardinals are too good of a team at least to be able to prevent them. I think it really is going to come down to, we've seen Sean McVay kind of settle and take sometimes he'll kick the ball in the red zone, take some of the points. We've seen Arizona sometimes settle for points or in these clutch fourth down scenarios, go for it and then leave the, leave the defense in a little bit of a bind what do you say as far as those kind of the maybe more minute details of who's going to win, who's not? What do you say as far as when it comes to the Cardinals hosting a playoff game with going on the road, being an eight and one team on the road? And I think the undersung narrative of both of these teams have really struggled in the second half of the seasons, not just Cliff Kingsbury, which the collapse of the Cardinals went through of going from winning the division to being second in the division. The Rams have had similar collapses like that too, and they've not beaten teams that have had winning records this year. They're two and five against playoff teams, with the two wins being against the Buccaneers early in the season and against the Cardinals after when we saw they were battling to a tie at halftime. And Arizona Kyler throws the interception at least on the bit of the bootleg action, thinks he can fit it over the linebacker. Linebacker. Oh. Makes the great play, the Rams take over, and that essentially was probably one of the huge turning points of the game because it had been yeah. neck and neck before. What are your thoughts on just some of that narrative coming in, and what is it that Kyler and Cliff have to do as far as being able to overcome some of this narrative? Well, it's the first playoff game, so we have to be somewhat realistic. It's going to take uh, a team effort in all three phases with with good communication and good adjustments. Um, and, you know, I mean, the Cardinals are have played much better on the road at home. I think that because of all the negativity surrounding uh, the media and, and just the outrageous nature of fans who want Cliff fired and Kyler traded, um, which is just mind boggling to me. We finally have a team that could be a perennial playoff contender um and guys already want to blow it up it's just mind-boggling i'm exhausted trying to defend defend the whole thing um but you know i guess it is what it is uh but i think at home the cardinals play like they're under a microscope i mean i if i were a cardinals player and i saw you know the visiting teams fans in the crowd being as noisy like the Rams did with the 49ers fans, you know, that's demoralizing. And, um, you know, there's some about state farm stadium that needs to get straightened out in terms of Cardinals fans and the atmosphere. And, um, I mean, the red sea is awesome. The, the avid fans, they're doing their part for sure. But, but I think that the, the aura surrounding the team, and the negativity has placed them at home under a microscope, and I think they're feeling the heat of that. Um, and they play so totally different at home. They're so tight and play things very close to the vest. And, 
you know, they don't play loose at all at home. It's just unbelievable. I don't get it, but that'll be um, one of the top items on the to-do list in the off season is to try to turn, you know, the home situation around and uh, protect the nest. That's going to be of high priority. But if it's one thing that Cliff Kingsbury has shown and Kyler has shown is that each year they go into the off season with improvement points and they've been, been getting good progress in certain areas um, on those points that they designate. For example, last year, Kyler was not good on intermediate passes. It's one of the reasons why they struggled down the stretch um, because, uh, you know, member teams were loading the box on him, making sure he wouldn't run. So the intermediate areas were the places to attack. And for for whatever reasons, um, Kyler had his struggles there. Well, this year he's fourth in, in intermediate percentage in the NFL. How's that for one year improvement? He's also still in the top three in deep pass efficiency um, and accuracy. Um, which he also was last year. I mean, anyone who's trying to still claim that Kyler can't win from the pocket isn't paying enough, paying attention to the numbers. The numbers do everything to indicate that he is. The only problem is, is that, you know, is the, when he's under pressure, him bailing out and taking huge losses on sacks. And if the Cardinals can come up with a more creative way to give him um, you know, a check down in those situations. They've got to start doing that because those those are, can be drive enders. Now, to Kyler's credit, you know, he's come back on many like third and 18s and stuff like that for scrambles and passes. And, you know, he, he can fight back from that, but sometimes it's, it's, you know, in the NFL, it's pretty hard to do consistently. Um, but, uh, you know, they're going to have to handle the the pressure. They're going to have to, it's a first time. So, you know, it's going to be a tremendous learning experience. And I hope they come in there ready to be the Cardinals that showed up there in October. And if JJ Watts, a part of this, I think he can trigger that mentality. And um, Buda Baker's going to try to trigger it. I know that. And, I think if they can go in there, Blake, and um, and play, you know, like they're playing with house money. I mean, don't play tight. Play like, you know, play loose and pull out all the stops. Just take take chances. Do whatever it takes to, to gain an advantage. And for for crying out loud, do not let Aaron Donald dominate this football game the way he did the last game um yeah von miller too von miller has been amping up and getting a bit more after starting with zero sacks and going for a while he did have a few clutch plays in the niners game to the point where a lot of people thought that it was looked like it was game over at one point after a certain sack of course we have seen that Players like Debo yeah. Samuel stepped up. Jimmy Garoppolo made some great throws under pressure. They're also able to end the game on a Stafford interception just from the pressure of right. him having to come back. It is one of the areas, like you said, that I think the big question is going to be which Cardinals team do we see? A Cardinals team that settled is 
basically frustrated, that feels they're doubted. The same type of Cardinals team that I think pulled into Dallas where it had Kyler Murray like, all right, this is my stadium. We've lost three in a row. There's absolutely no one picking us to win against this Cowboys team. And they go out there, win the line of scrimmage, run the ball effectively on the Cowboys. I think they had about 30 or so carries that they had in that game. And they made the Cowboys essentially abandon the run. Zeke had less than two yards per carry. The Cowboys went back for a big play. Unfortunately, did lose Michael Gallup on an injury. I think that had a big impact on some of their game plans since he was one of those guys who, when they needed a play, would come up with one. I think that's what you're going to be looking for is there's going to be enough plays that the offense has to be able to make and I mean, it's going to start up front with the offensive line being able to win in the run game that's going to force these uh, poor to average Rams linebackers and safeties to be able to have to come up and make tackles, make plays, being able to make sure that, you know, they're the ones that are being put on their heels from the start. Uh, let's talk a little bit also about the, uh, unless you've got another point, I, I wanted to at least move and talk a bit about what this kind of means as far as for the Cardinals overall, like I think you and I are in a little bit more of an, maybe I guess a balanced avenue of seeing the progress Arizona has made. We've seen, I think a lot of Cardinals fans who when Steve Kime was retained after a terrible off season, which a lot of ways did start with um, a poor free agency period and then whiffing in the draft as far as being able to say, we're going to trust our future to Josh Rosen. I think it left a sour taste in Cardinals fans mouths. And then, Firing Wilkes after one year to hire the former Texas Tech head coach who had been let go. I think we saw some of the upside that was like, all right, this is a guy who made offense happen wherever he went. You were able to see some of the fresh perspective. Those are all places, I think, that were positives. The question I have, Walter, is if the Cardinals do end up losing this, they end up losing, you know, I think five of their last six, maybe that six of their last seven games on the season. Is it going to be fair for them if they come back in and say it's, it's a league where you have to win and where you have to win the most is prove you can win it in the playoffs? How realistic is for us to expect if the Cardinals are able to, um, if they drop this game and their season ends? And then we'll, we'll talk about the inverse Cardinals fans, don't worry. But first, what is the outcome or what should Cardinals fans be feeling about this team and about this season if the Rams do come up and end up with a win in this game? All right. Well, the Rams are favored in the game. And let's be honest, the Rams have the better team. The Rams have the better team. Their stars are healthy. Our stars haven't been. They've been very fortunate in that way. They didn't miss Stafford for three games. He's played every game virtually. Okay, they, Cooper Cup has been like Iron Man. I don't know how he's done it. I mean, they have rode him like War Admiral in the Kentucky Derby. I mean, and amazingly, he takes the punishment and comes back um, like a dog with a bone every week. He is phenomenal. Okay, we lost DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, you know, they, they have the better team. So if they win, it shouldn't be a shock. But that said, I think the 49ers game took a lot out of them. And I think it's going to be hard for them to regroup a little bit from that. And like you said, they haven't beaten many uh, teams with winning records. And Stafford's been turnover prone lately. And if you don't let Aaron Donald dominate this football game like he did in Arizona, 
and you get some timely breaks and you make some timely breaks, I mean, the Cardinals could find themselves, uh, you know, cashing in in L.A. And uh, you know, I think it's, it's anything's possible at this point, because anytime you do something for the first time, you know, it, it could go either way. It, a lot of things could happen. But I'll tell you this, and I'll leave on this note. Here are the things that nobody can take away from these 2021 Cardinals. Number one is the best record in the division at four and two. If anyone said before the season that in the best division in football, where we're the only division that has three double digit win teams. Okay. And, and three playoff teams. The only reason why they're four five and six is because we play each other five times. Okay. I mean, nobody else has to do that. The Cardinals went four and two in the NFC West, which continues another um, thing that Cliff Kingsbury, a trend that Cliff Kingsbury deserves praise for, which is one and five in the first year, two and four last year, now four and two this year. That is tremendous progress. And that is a success story unto itself. <coughs> Excuse me. So, and then the second thing it can't take away is a seven-game winning streak. How often does that happen in the NFL? And I'll tell you this. It's so hard to do these days. It's so difficult. You know, total kudos to the coaches, to the players, to pull that off. And people underestimate this. Well, you start off 10-2. and two. Yeah, but it took a lot out. I mean, when you show up, and play that hard every week. You know, there are breaking points. I mean, it, players get worn down physically. They're also mentally dealing with all the COVID stuff. They're also mentally dealing with, for the first time ever, a 17-game season versus 16 games. So, you know, I mean, <clears throat> were the Cardinals that talented to be without J.J. Watt and DeAndre Hopkins and Rodney Hudson for five games and still sustain what they were doing early in the season? I don't see it. I don't see that. I don't see that as reasonably sustainable. Hmm. Um, you need your stars to stay healthy. I mean, think of think if those guys had stayed healthy. I think if J.J. Watt had stayed healthy, we probably will, would have won three more games. I'm serious about that. Yep, seven and zero with Watt, three and five without him, and they end up finishing the season, I believe, um, four and six without JJ Watt. So that just shows the impact that right. he's had on the team. I mean, it's huge, uh, and you know he did his best to keep everyone, but you can't do it as well from the sidelines. I mean, he's such a dynamic persona. I mean, force of nature. You know, his, his stamp on this game, he's going to see what Aaron Donald did to the Cardinals. You just know he's he circled this state and is champing at the bit, you know, um, if if he indeed can play. And if not, he'll be rooting the team on from the sideline. He'll be psyching them up. But uh, seven-game winning streak, I mean, how often have we seen it as Cardinals fans? I mean, think of that. You know, with seven games, one in a row at the beginning of the year, the Cardinals' odds in Vegas 
for wins in the season was 8.5. Yep, three over. <laughs> three over. You're, you're 7 and 0. Oh, right. You're 7 and 0. Oh, and the and Vegas picked you for fourth in the division with 8.5 wins. You know, the over under was 8.5. You know, so I mean they overachieved so beyond people's imaginations early on. And it took a toll because some of the players, you know, got injured. Um, you know, I don't think it was humanly sustainable given what was going on each week with COVID, all the jugglings and the players lost with COVID. That's why this year I don't think, you know, the Packers were the closest to it being the most dominant winning team. But, you know, look at the Titans with the number one seed. I mean, what's their record on the season? Like, what did they have? They go 12 and five. I mean, typically you see teams at the top of their divisions with like two losses or something. No, but it wasn't going to happen this year for anyone um, except maybe the Packers who um, were able to cash in on, some of the most brilliant quarterbacking play I've ever seen in combination of their run. A strong run game that they had. Their defense was doing excellent as far as for being able to disrupt quarterbacks. But the other thing you got to look at with the Packers was they lost to the Vikings once. Then they got, I think it was at Kellen Mond the second time. And then they pretty much cleaned up as far as with the rest of their division. The Lions basically put forth their Super Bowl-type game at the end, which, you know, that's kind of one of those expectations you have of when Aaron Rodgers plays the first half, Detroit comes out strong, he goes and sits on the second half, and you're like, all right, that's kind of going to be what you can say is a building block for the Lions team. But in the end of the day, that is one of the areas of, and when it comes down to it, the Packers went through the NFC West, they beat each of the four teams that were there, and that's kind of their right for the most part is almost that rite of passage to get that number one seed. Maybe Arizona has a bit of a lucky turn, at least. Things turn out a bit different. But I think, like you said, when you're looking at these teams and how everything has turned out, if you're looking at what the progress should be for the Cardinals of being able to be this team that can perpetually get double-digit wins, that is able to go to the playoffs, that gets playoff wins, I think a lot of that should start with this game here. It's something that the Cardinals did not get to do last year. And I want to get some of the takes, at least as we wrap up, let's say the Cardinals do win this game. We're not sure exactly who they'll face in the next round, but what do you think would be the impact on this franchise, the fan base, and then even players like Kyler and Cliff as a whole, or guys who, you know, maybe this is going to be one of the, with the way he's been beat up over the years, who knows how long J.J. Watt's going to be remaining in the league. What do you think it would mean for them to go out, exercise some of those demons against the Los Angeles Rams, and be able to win this playoff game? Well, just one more quick thing on the things that they can't, that no one can take away from the 2021 Cardinals, and this is the most special one of all, is uh, I'm... 66 years old, I never thought I'd see a Cardinals team win eight road games in my life. Um, I enjoyed every snap of those games in ways I've almost never enjoyed Cardinal games before. I thought it was one of the most stunning rides um, and unpredictable rides um, and the way they kept coming and coming and coming. The Lions game did not surprise me because they spent the night in the hotel watching 
the Colts absolutely dominate the Patriots. And for the first time all year, the 1-0 mentality got distracted because I'm sure of it. I'm sure knowing they had to play the Colts in six days was a huge factor. See, the Cardinals are no good when they're trying to save themselves. We learned that. But who is? You know, and, the, and they ran into teams who treated that game. When you're now at the top, everybody wants to take you out, particularly big underdogs who would make their season to do. Now, the Lions not only did it against the Cardinals. If you notice, they did it against the Packers um, in the last game of the season. Um, yes, Aaron Donald was out for the second half. I mean, Aaron Rodgers was out for the second half. But still, the you know, the, the Lions played everyone tough all year. And, you know, the, the Cardinals came into a buzzsaw there because they were – playing out of their minds um but that was the one one small glitch in nine games and that's the other thing is when when has a team ever played nine road games and the cardinals handled that with such amazing aplomb and and, um and and you know most of those games were blowouts i mean the only one that wasn't was the lions game i mean it was blown out in the other way i mean they they had us breathing easy late in the fourth quarters. Like, Oh my God, this is okay. I'm doing victory laps. I mean, it's just so stunning to me. So any talk of if they lose coaches should, you know, Cliff should be fired. My, my only first coaching question is with Vance Joseph. Um, I, I, I'm concerned about um, his decision-making with these, with these zones. Um, and I, I mean, I, I hope I never see Chandler Jones in coverage again. Um, you know, and, and I just cannot, I cannot conceive of any logical reason to use him in a role that he's not suited to play other than rush the passer. And I'd say the same thing for Marcus golden, but I also am very concerned about the lack of development of Isaiah Simmons and just this preposterous stubbornness of not playing Zayvon Collins. I mean, I'd rather lose a couple games and develop him. We need him for the future. I mean, we need, we cannot. Plus, when you bench a competitor like that, you're screwing with a guy's head. All right, this kid was a 16th pick in the first round, and he earned every iota of that. He was a unanimous All-American, the Nagurski Award winner in the, in college football last year out at Tulsa. His coaches raved about how he had a command of the entire defense. J.J. Watt loves him, goes out to lunch with him regularly. In that first game against Derrick Henry, he was on fire. He and J.J. Watt were the reason why the Cardinals beat the Titans more than any other reason in that game. And Kyler played dang well too, but, but man, I mean, he was good. And then they yanked him like they did with Simmons after one game. That is really troubling to me. And I, you know, I don't like the, you know, the Cardinals are playing a three, four Blake. Are any of those linebackers good? I'm at those spots. The answer is no, not a one of them. Marcus Golden is not a 3-4 outside linebacker. 
he's at this point in his career, he's a designated pass rusher and a good one. But that's why he's gassed now. They played him the whole season out on the edge, and he's he's not fresh anymore. Is Jordan Hicks a good Mike? No, he's not. He doesn't step up and make plays. I mean, you know, you got to have a tough guy and a tough nose for the ball at that spot. Yes, he's a good organizer, but I don't want to coach on the field. I want a slobber knocker at Mike. I know it's someone coming down downhill and making tackles. Is Isaiah Simmons a good weak side linebacker? No. He's out of position. He's a strong safety. Guaranteed. He's not an inside linebacker. He wasn't an inside linebacker at Clemson. I mean, the times he played in there, he looked tentative. We all saw that in the championship game that they lost to LSU. I mean, it was obvious. It was on tape. Why they were, you know, force feeding him into that spot is mind-boggling to me. Is Chandler Jones a good 34 outside linebacker? No. He's not athletic enough. He's not agile enough. But he's a heck of a pass rusher, and that's where you use him. So, I mean, if you're going to run a 34 defense and none of your linebackers are suited for their roles, what is going on? You know, and, and so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's some of the complaints I know we've talked about is the GMs in the front office. Maybe you could call it hubris, but all an issue. I think that there's two things that I think that come up. The first is I think that the starting point for me is when you're seeing how the linebackers aren't developing, how I think that I, and some people said that Zavin was an edge rusher. I thought that he was a guy who was much closer to being either an off-ball linebacker in the 3-4, kind of playing that will role, or if you can develop him at Mike, you're recognizing he's coming out of Tulsa, going to need to take some time to adjust to the oh, NFL with the pass yeah, sets and all of that defense. I think the biggest thing, at least overall, is I look at the linebackers coach that they have right now with Bill Davis, and I think you do a similar approach to what they did last year with the wide receivers. The Cardinals had a wide receivers coach. He goes and ends up in a different spot, a different job. They bring in Sean Jefferson and bring in a bit more talent, and suddenly you see – Christian Kirk playing the right role out of the slot. He's not getting maybe as vertical as you'd like. He's maybe not hitting the intermediate roles as you'd like, but he's doing what he's supposed to do in the air raid and had almost a thousand yards this season as their third wide receiver. You see having two guys on the outside with big bodies that Kyla can throw it up to or have that athleticism with Hopkins and green. And you see Rondell Moore being able to make plays behind the line of scrimmage, similar to what Cliff had. It felt like guys were being kind of finally put into some of their best roles. And Zach Ertz, I have to say, is also in that type of role as well. He's not being asked to block every play. He's being able to go out. What I think, at least that I agree with you, is if you do see a new linebackers coach get brought in, and I have a gut feeling that the Cardinals will bring a new linebackers coach in because I don't see you know, the likes of Steve Kime or Adrian Wilson being content with how the young linebackers have come from. I think they'll bring in a new type of coach. Maybe they do have a bit of pushback where suddenly you start seeing a little bit more of a rotational play as far as where they've been putting Simmons or other guys in. And then if you get to the end of year two, then I think you're going to have to see probably whatever type of changes that would happen. Because as we know, in the NFL, things usually can go by for a year. Usually you see coaches who have a bad year We'll sometimes be able to look at injuries. We'll look at other factors. We'll look at other struggles. Sometimes it's, you know, you've factored in that you'd have a rookie that would be ready to go. And, you know, he didn't quite develop. Jordan Hicks stepped up his level of play, but 
wasn't quite to what you needed from an athleticism standpoint. You got kind of caught in the middle for the most part with Tanner Vallejo being out and injured because, and this is the thing that stinks with Tanner is, I kind of agree with you if he filled the great backup role of that type of a linebacker, but his body just has not been able to handle the extra snaps whenever he was put into that starting role. So when the Cardinals are going into next year, I think at least whatever goes on, I think the positive that I would have is if Arizona can win this game, I think you then can move that on, say, if the Cardinals can win this game here, they've got their draft picks on like the rest of the NFC West. They're probably going to have other guys and other talents who will want to play, resuscitate their careers. There's a few moves that you're able to make for the most part, and you can see how the Cardinals can carry it on. But like you said, there's going to be questions, I think, because if the Cardinals do drop this game, then that's just the nature, I think, of the NFL in a lot of regards. And there's questions answered. But one of the positives that I think that I'll take away from is it's not like this Cardinals team is going into what I think you could call like their all or nothing year. You look at 2022, Kyler's still on his rookie deal. JJ Watts coming back. You're going to get a healthy DeAndre Hopkins. There's, I think, enough optimism for a lot of Cardinals fans that if you can beat the Rams this year with all that the Rams gave up to be able to get to this spot, if you can establish yourself as the best team in the NFC West, you have a chance if, you know, maybe you get lucky, the Niners are able to pull off a win against a team that, and the Dallas Cowboys is basically struggled when they've had to play a good team for the most part that gets pressure on Dak and is able to take advantage of that secondary. Maybe you're able to then talk about going up over to the likes of, um, you know, the Tampa Bay that's had injury issues, good old Bruce Arians. Maybe there's the chance to kind of make a bit of a run, but also to kind of cause the Rams to question everything because they gave up essentially their whole future for the most part. Arizona's got a lot of veterans who are trying to get this last run done but a lot of those veterans can come back next year and be able to run it back. Whereas the Rams, the Rams, at least for the most part, are the team that I think has a lot to lose. Now, maybe a little bit changes for that. Maybe the Cardinals emotionally, they have a lot of issues with, you know, taking on, like you said, some of that whole loser mentality of dropping games down the stretch, dropping the playoff game. I think if the Cardinals can win this game here, you're talking about what could be a whole new future in the NFC West and a division that we have no idea what Russell Wilson's status is. The Rams have stretched themselves then to the point of they have one bad loss, at least in the playoffs. You don't know if that's going to break or cause doubt. And the Niners, who knows what they have in, in Trey Lance. They've got a whole lot of talent. They've had a whole lot of struggles this past year as well. And cards went 2-0 and against them this year, whether it was Jimmy or whether it was their third overall pick. There's, I think, a lot of optimism for Cardinals fans. And that way, I think when we look back on the season, Walter, whatever goes on, I think and hope that we'll view it as a positive, even if it does seem to, for whatever reason, end on a more sour note. Do you agree or do you disagree? I think, uh, you know, just to finish about Vance Joseph, he's excellent with safeties and Buda Baker and Thompson, although not on the deep end, they don't cover well. Um, but as four safeties who intimidate over the middle and make plays and, and, uh, you know, make our solid tacklers and blitzers with Buddha. I mean, Vance is, that's his game and Vance can dial up pressures with the best of them. Unfortunately, his four man rush isn't getting there. And so he's had to dial them up more than normal. And I, I hope he comes after Stafford in a big time way all game. I don't, I don't care. I just want pressure on him. And if he finds a way to burn the Cardinals, then so be it. I'd rather do that than 
go on these painful, you know, 14 play drives that, you know, and Stafford's got a clean pocket and making throws, uh, you know, but, um, but this game is really huge for me because I, you know, um, if we see Stafford breaking contain and making big plays um, and we see Cup and Higby and OBJ wide open versus poor zones, I'll tell you one of the first articles I'm going to write is let's get Fagio, Fangio in here over uh, Vance because, you know, to be like a Kyler Murray over Rosen. I mean, Vance is not horrible, but there are things that Vance does in this defense that are really mind boggling. And if he can't, if he can't take away by now, McVay in three years, McVay's butter bread and butter plays and prepare for those, which he's rarely shown. I mean, he showed a bit of an answer for it back in October. I was really impressed. But then where was it um, in Arizona? It was like he was playing a totally different defense. He was crashing down the ends, giving up contain. Um, it just was like night and day difference. So, and having J.J. Watt really helps too. But I want to see schematically that he has an answer. And if they get beat man-to-man, you know, trying like hell, I'll be fine with that. I mean, I just want the effort. I want the smart play. I want them to dog our, you know, him to dog their receivers the way our receivers are getting dogged. I want to see that. I don't want to see wide open passing plays, and I don't want to see Stafford running through like Jared Goff, who, you know, has our has Vance Joseph number big time, and Goff is off the Vance Joseph defense every time he's played it and had big, huge days. Um, you know, he knows where the holes are and he knows how to escape the pressure and bootleg around stuff. And, you know, but if we see Tyler Higby running free, making wide open catches, we see Cooper Cup going off for 13 catches again. If we see OBJ just having his way um, and with easy throws, then I'm going to sit really lobby for them to get in a, you know, with a guy like Fangio out there, um, we wouldn't see this, these kind of mistakes. Um, yeah. And I think that's, that's going to be interesting to find out as far as with Vance. Cause I think that the Cardinals, unless, you know, something disastrous occurs is I think that they're going to probably do more of the slow approach of, you know, being able to rebuild a defense from scratch and having new talent or other places is going to be tough. If they have a person who is better in mind, then maybe, you know, things line up. But I think at least Fangio is probably going to follow wherever, you know, if Jim Harbaugh comes back to the NFL, I could see him following him. Maybe things do line up at least, but it's one of the aspects where at least through this phase of Kyler Murray's career, I have at least seen enough of Vance Joseph where I think that, like you said, you don't have enough. There's enough flaws and problems that have popped up, but we've also seen at least the capacity to run the ball and be able to put away teams with double digits, at least on the road and being able to make, you know, the nightmare of hell with having guys like Buddha and other people on the line. I think at least overall, when it comes to defense, defense is about the talent on the field and who's going to be the weakest link because 
as the defense goes, you know, even if you play everyone man-to-man, one person gets beat as a man, all of a sudden they fall down. Your safeties are man-to-man. They can run for 20 yards because one player just gets a little beat off the line. You play zone for the most part and have one guy who mixes it up or plays the wrong aspect. You can end up seeing, like we saw with Breon Borders, the weakest link for the Cardinals that can crumble. Because defense is built on such a talent where I think it comes and goes, I think your question at least should be overall looking at, you know, are the GM and the head and the coach on defense on the same page? Are there issues? And I think that, like you and I have talked about, I don't think that they are. And in that regard, really, it's there's not much you can have as far as when it comes down to Cliff and Kime. You might have to be able to look at an avenue of making some changes. We saw that internally from Cliff and that standpoint of they did a whole change to how they treated their wide receiver core this last year where they moved on from Fitz after it was clear that, you know, his days of being a dominant receiver had been past him. You could get a boost to the offense for moving Christian Kirk inside and they added two other receivers and, They made a trade for Zach Ertz. And I think that same type of mentality, if you can be able to go through, will help for the Cardinals. And the ability to have a franchise quarterback means you're not having to win games, you know, like 21 to 17. You have at least some of that aspect in the offense. I think with the defense, like you said, we'll see where it goes, but it wouldn't shock me for the most part if the Cardinals issues end up being far more on making sure that the offense is able to deliver and put points on the board then the defense having to be kind of in this, you know, rut of it's good, but is it really as good as it could be or should be with these players and especially with that talent level? Well, I think Cliff Kingsbury is a hot commodity. I think that free agents would love to play for him. I think he treats players like men. And I think that uh, he's vastly underrated. I think, you know, he puts on this persona of like everything's my fault and so he makes himself easy pickings, but underneath that facade is a tremendous competitor and nobody outworks the dude. He's in the building 4.30 a.m. every morning, sacrificing what could be a GQ lifestyle because you know, you know he's got Ryan Gosling good looks and you know he's got plenty of action if he wants it. But, you know, he, he's married to football. He loves it. He loves calling plays. He loves uh, studying film. He does all the things that I wished other college, other Cardinals coaches would have done. And he's right on top. You notice they just hired a, um, an analytics guy, Andrewsy. Um, that's really exciting. You know, and Cliff goes both by analytics and feel. I mean, he's not just totally by the book, but I just love where he's headed. I think the players love him, love playing for him. Um, And I think he gives the Cardinals a strategic edge, which I always believed in today's football you need from a head coach. It used to be fire and brimstone and all those other wonderful things. But today when you get a valuable um, coach who can give you an edge, um, the way Sean McVay does, for example, in his play calling and the way his offense is run, I mean, we've got that in Cliff Kingsbury, and we've got a quarterback who Kingsbury has been grooming, and I give Kingsbury an A on what he's been doing with Kyler. I know people are impatient with certain aspects of Kyler's game, but let's not forget, even between college, add up his college games and his pro games, I mean, he's not even at 75 games. I mean, you know, let's get him to 100 and, you know, 
and, and he's continuing to improve each year and, and and get stronger each year in certain aspects and and he's you know he's catching on you can see it um he gets a little stubborn at times yep and that's that's a big thing that you're bringing up i think sorry to cut you off but i'm thinking of Brian Flores and Tua Tagovailoa Tua not taking that same step forward i think is a huge reason why he's out of the Miami Dolphins job for the most part. Whereas, like you said, we've seen improvement in every single year of Kyler's game, whether it was from reading the blitz, beating that improvement in the intermediate, and then finally having some deep threats. We got to see more than just DeAndre Hopkins or the odd pass play to Kirk or Isabella. We really got to see more of that complete offense this year that played and injuries. I think at least have derailed that a bit more than most, a lot of Cardinals fans, I think, have wanted to uh, admit, unfortunately, with Hopkins and with the revolving uh, revolving door at the offensive line. Right. So, you know, there's a lot of pieces there. I'm not. In, I think they can create a lot of really good, good deals and um, team friendly deals in free agency. I think there's going to be a lot of buzz. Um, the guy I'm really looking forward to, uh, I think would be high on the Cardinals ra- radar is wide receiver Jakeem Grant who played for Cliff at Texas Tech. This guy's lightning in a bottle. Um, we saw him in the, in the Bears game, although that was a drench field, but this kid can scoot. Um, I think he, he could be at a reasonable price. Um, you know, I don't think the Cardinals are going to pay um, big money for any other wide receiver. Um, I think they might draft another wide receiver. I don't see A.J. Green coming back. I don't think Kyler and he have enough chemistry unless they go wild in the playoffs. Um, you know, so looking ahead, I think that there'll be a lot of players, good, solid um, players lined up to want to come to Arizona and be a part of this. And the, the interesting thing to me is which players of the Cardinals own free agents will they try to retain and um you know i think that uh zach Ertz has to be on the top of that list um i don't see carl chandler jones coming back um because i think that he'll get big money and i don't think the cardinals can afford it um with they only have 21 million right now in cap space they're gonna have to create stuff but you know i mean i really love Chandler as a, as a pass rusher. I'm sorry. I apologize to him that we have a coordinator who thinks he should be playing pass coverage. Um, I, that's true. Really. Uh, and they could have kept him a little fresher as they could have with Marcus golden. I don't know what happened to golden, but he must've hit a wall because I haven't seen the real Marcus golden in a few weeks of you. Yeah, I wonder how much of that is not necessarily, I mean, they hit the COVID list at least is one avenue, which that seems to be affecting people as far as with more breakthroughs or people getting it for the first time. But like you said, Devon Kennard missed time this year. Dennis Gardeck didn't come along, I think, as much as I think they would have hoped. He was a guy that they retained that they knew he was going to be coming in midseason, but with Golden having to play a whole lot more snaps, especially in the run defense, I think maybe that's one of the areas. And we'll see at least when the Cardinals play how much of them were once they got to the playoffs that they eased up a little bit. That's something that maybe is a bit of human nature that is having to find that competitiveness, at least. It's having to create it now, whereas before it's everyone doubting you, then you've proven it, and then 
you know, you get your nicks and they're having to get nicked up, I should say. And but we'll end up seeing where it goes, because I, I was going to ask you as we close out today, at least. And um, we talked about the game. We've talked about the season. There are f- four positions. Now, I'm, I'm going to assume to some degree that the Cardinals are going to want to at least pursue and bring back Zach Ertz and Mac Williams, because I think that's the easiest way to bring back those. You've already got some chemistry with him and Kyler. You already have seen what Max can do. I think that they're going to make more of a presence to bring back James Conner, at least as far as the type of back he is. And I think they'll let Eno take over. Chase, I think, has a lot of skills and a lot of talent. But unless he's going to take maybe being that number two running back type of contract or being more of the you know, second pass catcher, I think that he's going to be looking at free agency and a team that will be wanting to pay him a deal. Maybe that turns into coming back to Arizona. But I feel like Arizona has seen enough from Eno Benjamin and James Conner that they'll go out and they'll draft that replacement for James Conner, that big back who maybe is a carry the load type of a guy that doesn't have to quite year one. You don't need to go and take a, you know, round one or a round two uh, running back. Potentially you could, you know, grab a guy in round three or round four that can carry the load, kind of be able to upgrade over your Jonathan Ward and then be ready to take on that full-time lead role. So that really leaves you with the edge rushing. I think that it leaves you with what's going to happen with wide receiver. I think it leaves you with what's going to be the future at the defensive tackle position, the D line. There's been issues, I think, with the linebackers more in the run game. I think I'd love to see if they get a defensive lineman up front and the linebackers still struggled. And it's easy to be able to see that as a kind of schematic fault or a teaching fault events. And then last, at least, is going to be that interior offensive line. Justin Pugh, it's the last year of his deal. You know, we've seen Max Garcia have a great season. I believe he's a Pro Bowl alternate. But we've also seen, you know, like when you're in a division with Aaron Donald, (laughs) in a division with, you know, the pass rushers that you have of the Puna Fords and the Niners with them rushing for, with Kyler having protection in front of him, giving him that pocket, we saw just how important that trust that Rodney Hudson was for him. When he has Hudson in, the Cardinals play football really well when Hudson has been out or we've seen that lack of trust. There's been struggles. Which of those kind of four positions between like the edge, the interior offensive line receiver defensive tackle. Cause I think at least for me, if you're talking about with figuring out what to do with Chandler Jones and his contract and all of that, it really feels like the Cardinals are almost built to kind of find that next young pass rusher. If they can hit on one on a rookie deal, I think that would be ideal, but there's a lot of things at least up in the air as far as for, needs in the position that the Cardinals are going to have to find one way or the other, at least. And that may or may not include Chandler Jones. Well, I wish we could get Hassan Reddick back. That still remains one of the more mind boggling things I've ever experienced as a Cardinals fan and still don't have any explanation for it. And, uh, hey, Steve Kime didn't want to pay him. I think they evaluated wrong. You're going to have to count that as something, unfortunately, against his. You could have gone from Chandler to Hassan and had a potential for finding pass rushers in a row. And the Cardinals, I think at least, were maybe not even a level of arrogance. Perhaps it's just a level of whatever fit, whatever place it was. They wanted to trust Chandler Jones this year. They had other priorities. And as a result, they're kind of paying the price for it by they may have to just take a late first round edge rusher and pray that he works out, which thankfully it is a great class for some of those. But that's one of the areas to figure out in the future of this team, I think, is making sure that you can keep the things that they've had going and not get to a spot where you're in desperation of having to 
fill some of these holes like we've seen with the Cardinals over the past couple of years, at least. Unfortunately, with Steve Keim is you sometimes when you miss or whiff in the first round, you end up in a rough spot a couple years down the road. Well, my first priority, um, well, on the edge, I'd like to see them resign um, uh, Dennis Garda. And with another year in the weight room and feeling stronger, he can get back to the form that he had two years ago. I have no doubt about that. And it's in a way, it's a blessing for the Cardinals that he didn't go off again this year because he'll probably be more affordable. Um, I think giving him an incentive deal would be awesome, and I think he would jump on that. And I would put him at Sam. Um, he put him in Reddick's spot. He's got the athleticism to, to handle that because um, he's the closest athlete on the roster to Reddick anyway. Um, and then you got to get a, a, a bona fide 34 outside linebacker across from him, which we don't have on the roster right now. So either through free agency or the draft, but the number one priority for me is cornerback. And um, hmm. you know, I got my eye on a few guys in the first round, like Trent McDuffie from Washington. I love the UW connection. I also love uh, Jimmy Lake, their D back coach who's out there um, looking for work. I would, that would be a dream come true if the Cardinals could sign him to their staff um, and reunite him with, with Byron and, and Buddha and Zeke Turner. Um, that would be awesome. And then tap into that pipeline with McDuffie or Gordon. The other kid is Kyler Gordon is, is really smooth. Um, but I, we need the reason why I want McDuffie or Roger McCreary from Auburn is we finally have to get a cornerback who can dog Tyler Lockett. Okay. We haven't been able to cover him ever. Okay. Um, it, that's got to stop. Okay. Also, we got to get a cornerback in the same mode to be able to dog Debo Samuel, you know, McCreary or McDuffie can do that. Um, they've got the speed, they got the, the aggressiveness, they can press. Um, and then, um, you know, you also have to get the same guy to cover Cooper cup. So we need, we need a bona fide legitimate all-star cornerback so that we can better defend the wide receiver trio of all-stars in our own division. So that to me is number one priority. If there's a free agent who fits that mold and we have to pay him, pay him, let's do it. I don't think at his age, Stephon Gilmore is that guy. Cause I don't think he's, he's, he, No, but I, I don't think he's fast enough anymore to cover those guys, I think, or aggressive enough. I think that he's a bit, he's a great zone corner, and I think he's great against taller wide receivers. But you, we got to get a guy like five eleven to six feet who can scoot and who can you know be in their hip pockets and chase them all over the field. And there are some really good the kid from Florida you know, um, opposite, uh, 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 what's his name? Nair. Um, yeah. Kyrie Elam. Kyrie Elam, I believe is the one. He's a kid who of. would be a great fit. There's going to be corners at the back end of round one that, that, uh, would really be nifty fits. So, um, and then I think you have to, I hope they re-sign Robert Alford. Um, 
because boy, was he good this year. I mean, he's 68.8 in PFF cover, you know, grade and his coverage grade is the best on the team. You know, the great thing about him, Blake, is we just spent the last few years watching Patrick Peterson just, you know, disappoint, disappoint. This year, I never even noticed Alford. Did you? He was so good. Yeah, there's he was making plays. He was doing well. You wouldn't see him on field if it was covered. And he's scrappy, which we very scrappy. I mean, that's how that's how great he played. And and uh, so I hope they re-sign him. I like this kid uh, Hamilton. I bring him back. I he's got some juice, and I, I like his style. Um, you know, now Marco Wilson's going to be a, a year older. Byron's going into a contract year the following year, so he's going to be extra amped. So I, I like if they can clean up the secondary and add a, an edge rusher in free agency. They're probably going to need to do it there because all the good edge rushers will probably be gone by the time the Cardinals pick. And well, we'll, we'll see at least for all that. Remember, they do have picks if they have one that they like. I don't think they're going to, it's too much to jump into the top five or top 10, but there's a yeah. lot to go into for each of those areas. I know there, I think well, the cards can figure out some of, yeah. Line. Let me just right, go, for it. go for it. Going back, coming back. Um, Pugh has to restructure his deal because, you know, even he would admit he's, they're not paying him 12 mil. Um, he's good, but he's not that good. Um, and he's a good leader and he's a great trooper and he, he loves Arizona and he's well loved by his coaches and teammates and rightfully so he's still a dang good left guard, but he's got a restructure to make that, that friendly. But then what they, all they really need is, is a right guard, but I think they might be tempted, um, to move on from DJ (laughs) to save some money because. You know what they saw a little something, a little preview against Dallas, because Beecham can hold down left tackle for one more year. He's under contract at cheap, um, and then uh, Jones is Jones is the future, um, and his future is better now. I mean, you know, he's going into year three. He shouldn't be sitting and be a swing tackle. Um, they've got to make a decision there. I mean, I don't know what's happening to dj but he's clearly not as good as he was last year i know the covid bug bug hit him recently but his head's somewhere else this year um you know he's just not on top of his game and his his base salary is prohibitive and he's going into the last year of his contract that's a possible scenario where they could even trade him would be you know, and get value back would be an interesting thing. But, um, you know, I, something might have to happen there. They're going to need to restructure a bunch of bunch of contracts. But if things are going to work out with DJ, and I hope they do, you got DJ at left tackle, you got Pew at left guard, assuming he he um, settles. Then you got Hudson at, at center. That left whole left side looks really good. Then you got to figure out the right guard spot. For me, I've got Zion Johnson in the second round from BC, who is the best um, guard I've seen at BC since Pete, Pete Kendall. Um, and I think he'll make it into the second round because guards tend to go late 
um, rather than early. And uh, he's he's and there are other good guard prospects there. So I think you slide that. Hopefully, Kugler's not like the other coaches and wants to play, take it easy and redshirt high draft picks like he's doing with Jones. That kind of drives me nuts. Um, you're really delaying these guys' clocks when you do that. Um, so if they do grab, draft a guard early, I'm hoping it's to stick him in plug and play and develop him and let him make them. He'll have an all pro next to him. And then he'll, a guy like Beecham next to him on the right side or Jones. But remember when, um, when he was filling in last year doing, you know, playing multiple players at guard. I think that next year, if DJ does stay and Beach is there, Cougs would be wise to shuffle in Jones at left and right tackle every now and then because he's shown he'll do that with players. But they've got to develop Jones. He's one of the futures. Don't you agree? They, they He's got to start playing more than what he's doing at tackle. Yeah, and I think that's going to be something that we'll find out as far as with the tackle in the other year, having him on that deal, I think, and having that flexibility. I remember with Bobby Massey and how he essentially had ceded the job to DJ Humphreys, Jared Veldia. There was a bit of tackle switching. I think overall, as far as the offensive line goes, we've seen enough combinations throughout the year. We've seen enough with Kyler Murray being able to, you know, get out of pressure and having the air rate of a quick passing offense without it necessarily being a... You know, we saw progress in the horizontal game. We saw areas where it wasn't simply, you know, this like dink and dunk down the field. I think we've seen enough, at least that I feel Cardinals fans can be relatively confident that the offensive line in whatever state that's there, we're at least in a pretty good spot. And a lot of that does center around filling in with Rodney Hudson, being able to be one of those stalwart veteran presences. Hopefully they'll be able to get him back for the entirety of next season, at least. But it is a case as far as with as your offensive line and as the health of a team goes, so usually goes your team. Uh, any other last comments you want to make before we kind of wrap it up? At least you can also plug yourself as well um, with some of your own podcasts for those who would want to listen for the Cardinal faithful out there who are probably older than I am and can remember the early days of the Phoenix Cardinals, the St. Louis Cardinals, all of those places. At least we've kind of had all of this building up to this 2021 Cardinals team on Monday Night Football in the playoffs for the yeah, first time. Well, it just dawned on me. It's clear what they'll do. They'll re-sign Max Garcia. Cougs loves loves him. He'll be the right guard next year. They'll probably use the second-round pick on a pass rusher or something. But anyway, I think they've got enough pieces on the off. I also like this kid Harlow. I thought he, he as a, you know, he he filled in admirably, and he's got a future. Um, so they have depth there, and I think they'll probably re-sign Joshua Miles for depth. And they have, of course, Jones, who I think they should play a tackle um, sooner rather than later. But, yeah, I'm really excited for the game. I'm um, very hopeful that the Cardinals will will bring their A game uh, into L.A. It's been a hostile place for them, um, but they had the taste in, in October. I think they'll be encouraged by what they see on the – on the um, tape of rewatching that game and then watching the Rams versus the 49ers, which is going to be, you know, I mean, the Rams have been kind of running on fumes lately. And uh, I think they could be prone here. And, and But the Cardinals will really have to be precocious and more mature than you would think 
for their first time in the playoffs because so many of these guys have never played in the playoffs. And I, I'm hopeful, Blake. I, I, uh, I'm just vowing to enjoy every second of it because it's a rare treat to see the Cardinals in a playoff game. And I don't have huge expectations, but I have huge hopes, and I have really good feelings about the future as long as the Cardinals keep stability at the head coaching spot and a quarterback, and I think we've got the tandem to take move us forward in a positive direction and perhaps be a perennial playoff contender in a division that's really tough. Absolutely. That's the optimism. That's what you can see with the Kyler and Cliff experience or that. We'll see how it goes on Monday night again against the Los Angeles Rams. That'll wrap it up, at least for us here on the ROTB pod, Revenge of the Birds podcast. Remember, you can follow uh, the podcast at ROTB pod on Twitter. You can follow me at Twitter and Blake Murphy uh, at Blake Murphy seven. And make sure that you're following Walter as well, not just for the articles, the great content he puts out on Revenge of the Birds we talked about his Red Rain podcast. You can also give him a follow at WBJMitch on Twitter.com. Walter, it's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, appreciate it so much. Thank you for joining to talk some Cardinals. You too, Blake. Enjoy the, the weekend, man. We're in the playoffs, man. Yep, they're on, on the playoffs. Can't say that about every team for everything. There's only happened a few times in the Cardinals history for the most part. Got to enjoy it for that one. Whether they move on to round two or if they end up having Hope that it doesn't end next one. This has been the ROTB Pod. Actually, this has been the ROTB Pod.